was thinking about church a couple weeks ago, and I think most people, most, most people that become Christians do so in a church setting or some setting affiliated with the church, right? It might be something like this. It might be in a living room. It might be, you know, or just around Christians. That's the process. That's usually when the process begins for somebody. And when I say process, understand, like for me, God would come and he'd reveal something to me. And the next day or the next week, he'd reveal something more. It was a process, and then it was a big moment. But for me, it never happened in a church. It never even happened in a church setting. It happened in my evolution class, which is interesting. It doesn't happen for Anyone know a lot of people get radically born again in evolution class? I did. The thing was, is, and I'm not going to tell my whole story today or anything like that, but some of you already know it. I went to school for medicine. Um, I wanted to be a surgeon. And uh, I was well steeped by my junior year in uh, evolutionary biology, atheistic evolutionary biology. So that was my minor. I studied it a lot. I knew it as well as some of the professors do, at least some aspects of it. And I'll never forget. In fact, I could walk onto the campus, walk into the classroom, and go right to the seat where this happened. But there was this big cataclysmic moment where I had this crisis in my mind and it was this I could not figure out why people would serve or demonstrate love to other people who are weaker diseased living in folly cracked messed up anything depressed sad in my mind I could not make that work biologically evolution now understand this isn't all this is not what evolution is pointed out macroevolution but what i studied if you if i carried it out to the deepest point as far as i could stretch it i wondered why we wouldn't want to weed out the bad genetics if it was all about the human race becoming bigger faster stronger smarter why we wouldn't cleanse out just the bad genes the the failed people the people that didn't look right sound right operate right and indeed, there have been some dictators gone that way, haven't there? I could not figure out why I wanted to serve people. If all of that was right, if science dictated how we moved and how we engaged people, why do I want to? Why do my friends want to? Why do my professors want to? And certainly I would talk to them about it. I would ask them, why, why do you think we serve people? Why do you think we engage people, demonstrate our love? Why do we do that, do you think? And they would give me answers that would never really satisfy me all that much. I don't think those answers really satisfied them very much, to be totally honest with you. Sometimes it was canned, trite, circular, didn't really deal with the problem. It was the best they could do. In this time, sitting in those classrooms, watching the teachings, making A's, passing tests, going on, with my business, Jesus Christ, for the first time, started to become a lot more provocative and interesting to me. And I think one of the primary reasons is because he looked like such a fool in the eyes of these theories that I learn and study. Because he went to a people who were very failed. He went to a people that were deep in folly and diseased and sinned. And I mean, he was doing grace on a level that they couldn't even understand right before their eyes. I mean, in terms of survival of the fittest, understand, he is the fittest man who has ever walked the earth. He is the fittest. And he came and he traded place with the weakest that we might survive. And I started to see Jesus a little bit differently. And I will tell you, the fact is, 
is we do love each other and try to demonstrate love and try to serve each other, but why? Why? Some of you are really good at serving. Some of you are good at demonstrating your love towards other people. But why? You know what matters? It matters. The, the means to an end do matter. If I were to ask you why it is that you demonstrate love to those around you, why you serve them, why you sacrifice, why you step down and humble yourself to serve, what kind of answer would you give me? Do you really know why? Or would the answer sound a little trite, maybe canned, prepared, something you say because you know you're supposed to say it? And I think that there are many reasons that we do. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of them, and I'm going to push on. I think guilt. Guilt is one of the reasons that I feel like we serve other people. I, I feel like sometimes we feel so bad for what we do have that we extend our arms and we try to serve others. Think about it. You go and you buy a bunch of new clothes. You come home with new clothes, and you open up that closet, and what's waiting for you? All the old clothes. But you need that space, and you need those hangers, and you're not going to wear those clothes anymore. So what do you do with the old clothes? Send them to Carm. <laughs> Give them to homeless people, right? And it does kind of satisfy that guilty feeling you have. It kind of cleans us. And it, gets that, get, it atones us and gets rid of that guilt. Same thing about Christmas time. Christmas time, people love to give money to charities. Why? Because we're in a giving spirit? No, not right. I mean, not really. We, we do it because we feel guilty because we just upgraded our entertainment center or whatever we did with that money that year. And we feel like we need to cleanse ourselves of that guilt that we feel. So whenever we serve other people financially or through giving things away, sometimes we're actually serving ourselves. Sometimes it's about us cleaning that guilt off of us. And this guilt-powered service, and this love, it's, it's not rooted in grace. It's not rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in our desire to not feel guilty anymore. And the thing is, is your sacrifice and your service, mine too, it only goes as deep as our guilt does. But as soon as that knot has gone in your stomach, we stop serving. We stop demonstrating our love. When we serve and love people out of guilt, we are serving ourselves. It's got us in the middle, focused on us. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we serve our wives, our husbands, out of guilt. Serve the church out of guilt. Serve our kids out of guilt, our neighbors, the culture, each other out of guilt. I think, I think compassion's another reason. Compassion is interesting because it's actually a great place to start. It's a great place to start serving, but it's not a great place. Naked compassion, separate from the gospel, is not a great place to land and build a foundation on. Because whenever you attach your service and your love to your emotions and how you feel, listen, we're fickle people. I mean, it ebbs one day and it flows the next and it's up and it's down and it, it varies. We feel heart warmed for a, a cause and then the next day we don't. I mean, we've all seen the commercials, right? You know what commercials I'm talking about? The one with the 1-800 number stamped on the bottom, right? And the puppy dogs looking at you or the little kids and the Sarah McLaughlin in the background. And before you know it, man, you're picking up the phone because for only $4 a week, you can make a difference, right? I mean, for me, I don't know why, but it's the cleft palate, cleft lip commercial. When that one comes on, man, it guts me. I saw it, and I don't, I don't know the full biology behind it, but it's a mouth disorder. It's developmental, so when kids come out of the womb, it's like 1 in 700 or something like that. They have a, a face disorder, 
to where it really affects the way they look. And overseas, that's a really big deal. And so every time I see that commercial with the cleft palate, cleft lip, I just, ugh, I just stop. I mean, I just get all weepy. I saw it in the airport not too long ago. I'm all crying in the airport, holding my bag. There wasn't even any sound to it, you know? But it was just messing me up. And now that's compassion. That's deep compassion. And it's not a bad place to start. But separate from what Jesus has done for you and for me, it will subside. It will go down. You can only cry so many tears for those commercial moments. But then your eyes get dry because after all, we have our own problems, you know? I mean, that is a sad commercial. But transmission is out on the van. And my marriage is coming apart. And my neighbor hates my guts. And we got to figure out something. Got to tell the kids what happened to the dog. And I got to explain why I'm not getting a raise this year. And all the things. Those things bark loudly. And whenever you have problems that bark really loud, sometimes it will outduel what we are compassionate for. Naked compassion. Alone. What it will do a lot of times is medicate our own emotions so that we feel better inside and the goal becomes feeling better. And again, it is serving ourselves. Again, it has us in the middle. I think being burdened, obligated, sense of duty, I think this is another way that we serve sometimes. I think this is one we serve because we know we're supposed to, because we're supposed to and we know we're supposed to. So we just do it, check the box, and we move on. We get past it and we feel free when we're done because we filled our slot right? And churches and pastors can be the worst at propagating this. We can be the worst at putting something on you and making you feel obligated and duty-filled to put your name on a list, to put it in a slot, to get it on a calendar, to give us a phone number, to do it. And then what you do is you'll come and you'll serve, and I'll come and I'll come and I'll serve just to get it out of my way, just to move on. And it's just a sense of duty. But listen, it doesn't work. That too it's only effective for a moment, and then it's gone. It's only effective for a little bit, and then service makes no sense after that. It also paints a really weird picture of Jesus when you think about it. Because Jesus did not come to earth begrudgingly. He did not come out of a sense of, I guess I gotta do... He wasn't obligated to come. There was a joy set before him as he came for you and as he came for me. And whenever we serve in a way that is very burden-filled or burden-backed, and it all becomes about forced labor. Whenever that happens, then we just paint a really weird picture of Jesus Christ. You know, I thought about this, and I've got this watch that I have. And the cool thing about this, by the way, the watch was a gift. It was an anonymous gift, and I think it was from someone in this church. And I probed forever to figure out who it was until my wife got on to me for doing that. Because it's anonymous for a reason, you know. And I get that, but I really wanted to know because it's a very expensive watch. And it's got a satellite link, and it measures everything, how fast I'm breathing. And, and I, can't, I can do everything but figure out what time it is on it. And I kid you not, I don't know where the watch part of it is. But it does everything else, the heart rate, you know, how hard I'm pushing it that day. It kind of kicks me in the butt. And I love this watch. And in the world of watches, it's on the top of the heap. It's the Cadillac. No watch looks down on this watch. You know what I'm saying? But it had a little tick, a little problem with it. So I call the support line. I realize I'm calling Canada. Canada. Listen, some of you, there's nothing wrong with the nation of Canada. Good beef, great skiing. They're okay in the Olympics. But the thing about Canada is, and if you've known me for a long time, I've not had a great track record with things purchased 
or supported from the great nation of Canada, right? So I'm on the phone with this Canadian girl, and she's doing the best she can to help me, but she does what support lines do. They take you through all the obvious things first, the things that you've already done 20 times, you know? Mr. Thomas, we'd like to turn the watch off and turn it back on again. Like I didn't, like I didn't do that before I picked up the phone and called. So I did, okay, I just did that. I did it just for grins while I had her on the phone, right? Okay, well, that didn't work? No. Well, Mr. Thomas, we're going to go ahead and uninstall the software, because this watch has software. We're going to uninstall the software and then reinstall the software. Okay, I've already done that. Okay. Then next, and she goes down this list, and she's real cheery, and she's doing the best she can, but you can tell it's scripted. You know she's doing her job. She clocked in that day like at half the other <laughs> residents of Canada, and she's doing the best she can to help me. It came to a place where I could click on either one, two, or three. I'll just say that. I read out the options. She said, definitely you want to click on number three. But there was something about number two that grabbed me. Something about number two that seemed like that was the right one. So I said, you know, ma'am, it, it looks to me like number two is the right one to click on. No, 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 no. She said, she said it real fast too like that. No, 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 no. And I caught a little bit of an attitude, which is odd because she's Canadian, you know. But it's also odd because it, she was so cheery up to that point. So something in me, and I never do this, I thought, I'm going to mess with her a little bit. I feel better inside if I do. I know I will. So I said, okay, but, I mean, it really does look like it's the better option, number two. I mean, number three doesn't really, no, no, no. Number three is really what we want to click. And then she kept talking. I let her talk for about 20 seconds. <laughs> and I said, I got to be honest, man. There's something really deep inside of me that wants to click on number two. And then she goes, no, listen, listen, don't click on number two. Don't click on anything that rhymes with two, looks like two. If you click on two, it will set us way back. Click on three so we can move on and fix your watch, you know? And so she was getting a little bit more assertive. And I was like, ah, I'm messing with you. I already clicked on number three. And she laughed. She thought it was funny. Probably not really. But this is the thing. She's being nice to me. Do you really think that's what she was thinking in her head as I was messing around with her? No. She was thinking, look, I don't even know where Knoxville is. And I don't care about you and your little watch and running up and measuring everything. Who cares about that? Get a life. If it doesn't work, then whatever. Put it in a drawer. This is what she's thinking. I don't care. I'm getting off in 15 minutes. You know, that's what's going on in her mind while she's smiling and doing the best she can. Had I caught her the next morning in a Starbucks and took her through the whole watch thing, she'd have punched me in the throat. Why? Because her labor was forced. She had to help me. She had to smile and grit her way through it. It was service. It was a burden. It was something that was put on her. She was obligated to help me. But had I caught her after hours, the obligation would have been gone. The service would have been gone. And folks, we can be like this. We can be like this. Forced love and service and demonstrating our love, it comes, it really, it comes apart quickly when the price tag gets rather high. It's true. Whenever we serve so we could check something off. And it ends up producing this weird Christian with a, a weird way of looking, this two-part way of looking at the world where I serve and I pour my guts out and I love only when my name is on a slot, only when my name is on a calendar, but I'll go home and my neighbor will be rotting away in need and sin and hell and just dependency and I'll just blow it off, right? Because I'm not obligated to do that. I've already paid my due. So we have this weird situation, right, where atheistic science says there's not really much of a point 
realistically, grand scheme of things, to serving and demonstrating love to people that are back from you. And then you've got guilt that says, you should do it because then you'll feel clean. And you've got compassion that says, you should do it because then you'll feel good inside, warm and fuzzy. And then you've got burden and obligation that says, go ahead and serve and demonstrate because then you can get it out of your way. You can get, up, you can get beyond it. But what does Jesus say about it? That's what I want to look at. You know, look in your Bible at John 13. This is going to be the text we use today. John 13. And if you, if you, listen, if you don't have a Bible or you don't like your Bible and you don't like the version it is, we have free ones on the table in the back. You can grab one on your way out and put your name in it and you can have it. Um, but until then, if you don't have your Bible, we will put the passages up on the screen so you can follow along with us. But John 13 is what we're going to use today to show us Jesus much more clearly. And it starts off this. We're going to start in verse 9. Or forgive me, verse 3. And we're going to go to verse 9. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, also my hands and my head. Verse 12, skip ahead, it says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Okay. All right. This is a very provocative picture where Jesus is humbling himself. The humility comes for him as he takes off his outer garment, right? And he puts on the clothing of a slave. And he washes people's feet. Now, this was a very, this is one of the more menial ways you could serve back in the day. The dude that got that job had one of the worst jobs. The one washing and scrubbing feet. Because listen, feet are nasty. You know? I mean, they're just funkyville. I mean, they smell. They've got dead skin and weird things growing off, bunions and stuff. And then they, it's just the sight of them. Toenails growing in weird directions. And they didn't have clippers like we have today. So make no mistake, it was weirdness going on down there and they're walking around in their chacos all day and dirt and and stuff and i think i think when we look at that it was a stigma back then it's just as much of a stigma now it'd be a stigma now but he puts on a towel i mean think about this the creator of heaven and earth the author of all mankind and all creation puts on a towel And he comes with the attitude of, I'm here to serve and demonstrate my love for you. He didn't do it because he felt guilty. 
He didn't do it just because he hurt inside for them and needed his compassion to be dealt with. And he didn't do it because he was obligated to do it. Right? Now I want you to get this picture. This, what Jesus did, is actually a picture of something he was about to do cosmically. Grand scheme. Understand, him pulling off his outer garment is just an echo of him actually casting off his heavenly garments and coming into creation through a virgin. Coming into our stink and our rubble and our pain, and he came and he just dug us out, and he did not just wash our feet, he washed our entire being. That's what this is a picture of. He disrobed his royal robes, and he stooped to humanity. And he's giving us just a glimpse of how provocative that is right now in this context. He served, and he served deeply. It says this in Mark 10. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this is what I love about Jesus. This is, uh, this is what lots of people love about Jesus. Even people who do not love Jesus love this about Jesus. He didn't just come to talk about love. He didn't come to just teach and pontificate about love or to write a book about love. He didn't come to do a conference on love. He came with a towel. He came with a towel. He came to show love, to do love, not just rattle on about it. Listen. A good missionary comes to work with a towel. A good missionary comes to work with a towel, not just a bunch of ideas and a bunch of yap, not just a bunch of talk, but a bunch of do. And the thing is, is this is why, this is why a lot of people who are steeped in social activism, so now I'm talking like Greenpeace or things like Greenpeace, these people who they might not even love Jesus and definitely their service to the world might be very separated or divorced from the gospel and all, right? But they like this about Jesus. At least they like this about the idea of Jesus. And that is the fact that his deeds went as deep as his words. And this is also why a lot of people say they don't like the church. This is why a lot of people say they don't like the church. It's because the church cannot get its deeds and its service to catch up with its words. So it's important. Now listen, the world is full of people that will not call Jesus king, whether we come to serve them well or not. They won't do it because they don't like the truth. They won't do it because they have sin that they want to hold on to. Okay, that's true. But, but what would it look like if the whole church came to bat with a towel? What would it look like? How would people respond? Think about it. I think we know how they'd respond. We see it in this text. Look at Peter's response, which was pretty weird if you look at it at first, right? But Peter's response is your response, is my response. We are Peter in this, right? He struggles with the fact that Jesus would stoop to do something so graceful as a gift. So he's like, I can't let you do this. I can't let you do it. Jesus communicates, you have to let me do it or we're done. We can't connect. And he says, well then, dump it. Dump it all over me. Let's go in total Peter fashion, right? That's our reaction. We hate getting grace without proving our worth. We hate it. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't like getting gifts that we can't earn. We love to earn our gifts. We love our worth to prove whenever people do something or God gives us something. We want to prove that we're worth it. It wasn't a wasted gift. You know, 
we're doing this thing. We do this thing as a church. Most of you don't know this um, because we don't advertise it because it's just kind of a demo. It's a beta thing we're working on. But we have this thing called a leadership cohort where I'm taking about five people right now through a study on how to become a leader, a Christian leader. But it's not all based on just getting big up here, right? It's, it's actually part of it. I'd say even half of it is getting out and doing tangible things to learn. It's getting the Bible study out of the book and actually out into the real world. So a month ago, the assignment was for these people in the cohort to take a certain amount of money, it was a dedicated allowance, and go and just ambush somebody and serve them. Whether you're putting gas in their car, or you're buying their Arby's, or groceries, I don't care what you do, I want you to just give them as, a, as grace to them. And then one of the directives were, I want you to watch how they respond. Watch how quick they want to pay you back. Watch how uncomfortable they get getting something for nothing. It will come. And it did. It did. To different degrees, they all had stories where the person was uncomfortable. Listen, it happens at the laundromat right across the street. Sometimes I will give quarters to somebody, and the first thing they tell me is, Hey, man, hey, thanks for this. Hey, I grew up in church. <laughs> what are they doing? I mean, that's an awkward statement. They're trying, they're trying to, you know, connect with me. I don't fault them for that. What they're really doing is saying, Hey, I'm worth this. I'm worth this. We're on the same page. It's not a failed investment. They're doing what they can to feel comfortable getting that gift. And this is why I hate, hate anonymous gifts. I want to thank somebody. I want to tell them it wasn't a wasted gift. I want to get them a gift back. Is that in anyone else or is it just me? Getting a gift where you can't give a gift back? We hate that. We hate it. Listen, this is the stump that grows the tree of legalism, of works and performance-based religion before God. This is the stump. God, you can love me. You can love me, but it's because I am worth your love, and I'm going to prove it to you by earning it. It's in all of us, this crazy thing. But the fact is, is we're horribly unlovely, and that folks, is when grace visits us, right in the middle of our mess, when we are our ugliest, when we're thinking and doing our ugliest, is right when God visits us. That's when he sees us, and that's when he gives us grace, and we bristle against it, and so will the people you serve. And so will the people you serve. They will immediately try to earn it and act like Peter, and act like you, and act like me. It's the power of grace very uncomfortable. And the thing about this passage is that Jesus shows us the complexion, what it is supposed to look like, what it means to serve. He shows us that it requires sacrifice. It requires humility. And then he says he's an example of this. And I'll tell you, it's true. Whenever you and I, when we preach the gospel, and however that might sound out of our different you know, stories and voices and experiences. When we preach the gospel, we ought to have a verifying action with it. In this way, our gospel isn't just heard, it's felt. In this way, our gospel is not just heard, it's experienced. Because we're not just talking about the gospel, we're living the gospel, which is very different. And this requires sacrifice. And sacrifice often has a limit for us. It does for me. It has a limit. And I don't like going beyond it, right? Humility is not something typically when I'm in the culture 
that I struggle with. Maybe in my marriage I do, if I'm being totally honest. But when it comes to sacrifice, count me out. I struggle. I struggle with sacrificing. Not all things, just some things. But Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Hey, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. Talks about sacrifice. And most people will go to the point of discomfort and they'll tap out. They'll go to the point of difficulty and then they'll stop in their love and their demonstration and their service. But the thing what Jesus shows us is he goes to discomfort and he keeps going. And you know when he stops? Death. He carries it all the way to death. And that's important for us to see. You know? I think what also... I think what also happens is we start to feel unbalanced in how much we sacrifice in our service. Time, talent, treasure, wherever the sacrifice might be for you, people around you will start telling you that you look a little unbalanced, unhealthy, out of whack, not normal, ridiculous. Hey, don't you think you're giving too much? Hey, don't, don't you think you're spending a little too much time doing that? Look, sacrifice is going to look ridiculous to a lot of people. I mean, it did for Jesus, did it not? You know, I think it also requires a lot of humility. And even that, just as much as sacrifice has its limits, humility definitely has its limits. I mean, look, we like to dispense gifts and grace. We like to. We rarely like to put on the towel and stoop down. We like to give gifts as long as we can be above the people we're serving. But to put on a towel means you're getting down on their level or even lower and you're serving. And we do not like that. That is difficult for us. But I want to take you through a passage that helps me on this. And it's in Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Now, as we read this, which is a passage you've read, I want you to keep in mind, read this through a filter now, keep in mind Jesus about to wash the feet of those that he loves and those around him. Keep that picture right before you as we read this, okay? Philippians 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself. Okay, now this is what a lot of theologians would call a stooping. This is the stooping process. Each of these statements shows Jesus getting lower and lower and lower and lower and vacating himself of more and more glory, right? Here he is, though, taking the form of a servant. Imagine him taking his robe off, putting a towel on, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He removed his royal garments first. And then he shows us a picture of that by removing his outer garments and putting on a towel. It's a beautiful picture for you and me. And then he says, this is my example to you. This is how you are supposed to walk forward. You are supposed to empty yourself and humble yourself when you serve. You are supposed to sacrifice to the uttermost when you serve. This is an example for us. You know, but... If I was to be very honest with you, what I struggle with the most in all of this, where I have to check myself and repent whenever I read this passage, is in the fact that Jesus did this for you and me, knowing that we would get dirty again. I mean, he's washing their feet. They're going to put on the same chacos and go kicking it outside again. More dirt, more mud. 
They're going to get dirty again. And listen, people that you serve and demonstrate your love towards, they will get dirty again. They will go back to their folly. They will go back to their addictions. They will go back to their sin. They will go back to their pain. They will go back to everything you tried to rescue them from. They're going to go right back to it. And there's going to be a piece of you that's going to want to do this. Hey, listen, I'll wash your feet, but then I'm washing my hands. Not doing this. We like to serve people that promise to get clean from there on out. We have very little patience for people that continually get dirty. Very little patience, which is ironic. This is what Matt Chandler says on this passage. He says this, Jesus, even to this day, continues to wash our dirty feet. Like children who constantly come inside caked with mud, dirt, and filth, we come to him every day with our sin, and yet he continues with a towel around his waist to wash our feet. And the painful irony is not that we get dirty again, that's not ironic, but that many believers fail to put on a towel around their own waist and wash the dirt off the feet of others. Churches centered on Jesus constantly remind each other that Christ has served and continues to serve them. And this becomes the one, the only, the supreme impetus for serving others. What is he saying? He's saying the gospel is our motor. The gospel Jesus and what he has done begins how we serve, it nourishes how we serve, it finalizes how we serve, it is how we do it. Not guilt, not compassion, not duty, not all of those things. The gospel is what does it because we see what he has done for us radically and and something inside of us just erupts and we cannot help but overflow and show what Jesus has done for us in our service of others. It's love not just spoken but love demonstrated. That's what he's saying. The gospel. And this way, our spoken gospel, our spoken message, matches our life and people stop getting confused. You see, there's this debate in Christianity, and it bothers me. The debate, the fact that there's even a debate about this bothers me. That's probably what bothers me. There's this debate on what kind of church are you going to be? And I hear it around church planners and pastors all the time. What kind of church are you going to be? Are you going to be that church that's all about social activism with a soup ladle in one hand? right and a sleeping bag in the other and you're all about helping 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 but you never preach the gospel or are you going to be a church that just preaches and preaches and preaches but never ever lifts a finger to demonstrate that same gospel and i think just think it's a goofy argument i don't know why we can't be both i think that's what makes sense is when we are both i will say this the ultimate goal of christianity is not serving people it's jesus The ultimate goal of Christianity is not serving people, it's Jesus. And I'll also say this, I'd say that Jesus' action, his action, his demonstration is enough. Whether you do anything, it doesn't matter. What he did on the cross is enough. His message mixed with his action is enough for people to become born again from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's enough. But... When you and I live in a way where we contradict the gospel we preach, we're not helping. We're not helping. We're confusing. We're disagreeing with ourselves. We say something with our mouth and we disagree with our life. Doesn't help. So as I finish, as I finish with this, there, there are three groups of people I'd like to talk to real quickly because that's what I see in this passage jump out most vividly. And one is that some of us 
and this would be me, I'm sure, some of us as Christians might be shriveling and squirming in our seat a little bit now and saying to ourselves, man, gosh, I guess I need to serve more. I guess I need to demonstrate love more or better, right? I need to jack the quality up or the quantity up. I need to do more. Let me ask you why. Why? Because you feel guilty for not doing it? Is that why? Is there something in you that feels that right now? Listen, you're not going to fix your own guilt. It won't work. But Jesus did. And the truth is, is you are guilty. You were guilty. And his service to you handled it well. Your service never can. His demonstration and action on the cross is what saved you. Your demonstration and action here on earth will never save you. It will never save you. So yeah, you're guilty. And I am too. And yes, I want you to serve humbly. And I want you to be sacrificial in your service. And I don't want you to go anywhere near doing things out of guilt or obligation or just out of naked compassion. I don't want any of that. I want there to be something in all of us. I want it to be in me where I'm so focused on what Christ has done as he has stepped into material world, as he stepped into his very own creation, put our skin on as he took his royal robes off, lived among us, draped himself on a cross made out of a tree that he created for crying out loud, bled out, prayed for you and me, died, was raised again. I want there to be something in that, all of that inside of me that just compels me, makes me want to just jump out and do anything I can to communicate, whether verbally or non-verbally, what the gospel means. That's what I want. Ask yourself, why? Why? Let me tell you, this is the work that the Holy Spirit does. This is Holy Spirit territory right here. This is what He does. As we turn from our sin, as we turn from our selfishness, this is what the Holy Ghost comes in and starts moving around on. And this is how it looks. I'll just give you a, a schematic on how this looks as we go into our time of response here. You know, as I said earlier, sacrifice is a big deal for me. I, I, humility when it comes to serving other people, I don't mind. I, I really feel like I don't anyway. But when it comes to sacrifice, I'm one of those people that loves to serve if you promise you won't keep getting dirty. That's me. That's how I know how to preach on it. And I also don't like to give up my time. I'm more of like write a check, write it once kind of guy. Get, just get, get beyond it. That way I can stay kind of sanitized and protect my schedule, right? So whenever I deal with this, what does my repentance sound like? I'm asking God to save me from this idol I have of comfort and always being comfort and always, always wanting to uh, protect myself, preserve myself, not deal with the rejection, not deal with the heartache. I don't want to deal with any of that. So I have to say, God, save me from that. Your gospel is enough. Your gospel is enough. If I'm abused, if I'm mishandled, so are you. You lead me. You are my joy. You are my comfort, Jesus. Not what I find in my own schedule. That can never be a good comfort for me. You are. You see, I realize as I deal with this that my serving cannot be about me. My serving has to be about what Jesus has done for me. What he has done for me. So some of you might need to have prayers that sound a little bit like that today. I do. I need to pray a little bit like that today. And some of you are unconvinced right now. This would be a second group. You're unconvinced that deeds work, demonstrated love, acts of service are really all that necessary, that words are enough. Words are enough. The message is enough. Were they enough for you? I'll have to ask you. I'd like to submit, were they enough for you? Were they enough for Jesus? 
I don't think they were. Yes, it's true. God activates our heart, regenerates our heart because of a spoken message. Faith comes by hearing. It is true. How are your nonverbal communication skills, though? Most of our values, most of what we transmit from one to another is nonverbally. How are you nonverbally preaching the gospel? How are we as a church preaching with our mouth and having a life that is comprehensible and makes sense when it's put right alongside it? It's tough for me. Maybe that's tough for you as well. And then some of you, I think, are like Peter. And you have a hard time receiving grace. In fact, you've maybe not ever received God's grace on your life. And it's because you refuse to let him wash you. You refuse to let him wash your feet. You're doing it yourself, and you're failing. Right? There's a piece of you that wants to earn it. There's a piece of you that's convinced that you are worth it. And you won't just relax and let Jesus do what he does best with his grace. And that is visit you and give you blessing and favor that you don't deserve, give you blessing and favor where you deserve the opposite. And the deepest your sin goes, his grace plunges even deeper, and it covers over it. But for you and for me for a really long time, your works, your performance, your pride have kept you distant from what the Bible calls a washing of regeneration. We find that in Titus. And that regeneration is what happens in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. For the first time, you're able to see the depth of your sin and say, oh my goodness, and then look at the grace of God and say, oh my gosh, what have you done? What have I done? And look what you have done. And that's the process of regeneration. And Jesus is saying to you the same thing, the same exact thing that he was saying to Peter back then, which is this, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So I would submit to you to turn from your own kingdom where you're ruling it as your own king, which you are, and turn to a king that came with a towel on, a king that came with a towel shrouded in service to you, to build a ransom in you, to free you, to serve you, not to be served, but to serve. That would be my submission. There is a king, there is a hero, and he came to serve and to rescue you from your sin. He came to rescue you from your best attempts, from your worst attempts. He came to rescue you from you. (laughs) He came to rescue you from you. You need to give your life to Jesus. Jesus.